If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts, who have been with us since the very beginning. It's where we learned how to make podcasts, radio, and video. If you're interested in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism, or maybe you'd like to mix and match, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Pixel Sift, your fortnightly look into the indie games of Australia and around the world. Joining me tonight is my co-host Johnny. How you doing, man? Uh, very good. Uh, I'm feeling quite spooky with my lighting today. So yeah, dude, something's got to be done about I, I that. Yep. <laughs> and our guest today is Daniel Elston from Elston Studios. Hey, Daniel, thanks for joining us. Hi, Mitch. Hi, Gianni. Thank you for having me. No worries. And uh, yes, Daniel is here to talk about his game, Guile and Glory, Firstborn. But before we get to that, what's up, Johnny? So, I don't know if you were on the internet this weekend, but I sure was. So, we'll be having a look at what was definitely the internet sensation, if you're vaguely related to anything to do with games. It's the charity stream that was run by H. Bomber Guy, a.k.a. Harry Brewis, that went above and beyond in terms of duration and money raised. It was kind of mind-blowing. Excellent. All right, let's get started. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. See, one of the things has happened. Uh, I have got you to play games with people, Mitch, but uh, I haven't grown my beard back. Yeah, you so. didn't grow the beard back. I'm just like, yeah, that, that's the promo I use whenever we are on the show together. Yeah. One, one, one you win, one you don't. So <laughs> last weekend, a Twitch streamer by the na- name of H Bomber Guy, aka Harry Brewis, began a stream with two simple goals. One, to beat Donkey Kong, and two, to raise awareness. Uh, but he ended up achieving much more than that. So the background on this story is there is a famous comedy writer um, who called Graham Linehan, um, who has done things like Father Ted and the IT crowd. And he's just started becoming a bit of like a sort of a bit of a troll, but he's had uh, like a few problems with transgender people. Um, and he 
decided to go after the charity called Mermaids, which is a charity that supports transgender young people in the UK. Um, They receive money from their national lottery, which is kind of, I guess it's just like a lottery uh, fund um, that supports them to sort of run their services. So uh, H-Bomber Guy basically started up the the stream as a way to spite Linehan and and kind of give money to Mermaids. So it started started and uh, I think the goal was pretty low um, to, to raise money for that. Mitch, do you know how much the goal was originally? I think the goal was about um, $400 to $600. It wasn't nearly as much as they that they pretty much got, which is almost half a million. Yeah, so it lasted for 57 hours and 48 minutes. Yeah, it also wasn't, uh, it meant, actually to, on- it wasn't meant to go for that long either. It just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger and crazy uh, like celebrity guests jumped on board. Um, John Romero, who created the Doom series, came out. Um, Jim Sterling, uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez as well jumped in, the uh, famous New York senator who's young and cool that everyone likes on the internet. (laughs) Um, So it just became this huge, huge thing Um, and, yeah, raised – close to half a million dollars. I think this you can still donate, but it's it's a really fascinating thing to talk about. Now, Daniel, I, I know you didn't get a chance to watch much of the stream, but what do you think about like this sort of effort, this sort of like raise money because of spite? Well, yeah, unfortunately, like you said, I, I missed most of the stream. I actually was just in my little game dev bubble and this kind of just like went way over my head until a couple of days later. But tuning in, I, I thought it was really you know, Spike gets things done, whatever else you say of it. And I think it's just wonderful to see that people in the gaming community can affect such a positive change and, and do so much good. And I'm really kind of disappointed by Lenahan's actions just in in, a, in that position of kind of influence as a writer for, for like such prominent TV shows to be kind of wielding that in a way that's quite destructive. I was, I was um, saddened kind of to hear about that. I'm really, really delighted that H-Bomber Guy was able to just kind of swoop in and start up this stream, which started small and then a whole bunch on board and it just kind of snowballed into something really, really great. I mean, this, I is, this is the power of broadcasting over the net. It allows us to do what we do. Um, and it is one of the things that makes PixelSiv so great. It's the same reason why H-Bomber Guy can, can, can do what he does. And I think that, and uh, spite, no spite, I think this is just an example of, of young people using technology and it favoring them because that's just, we can, we can use it to get voices heard. Like we, we use it to, get, uh, to help indie game developers be heard. Um, he used it to speak out. In, in his own little manner and it is being recognized as a legitimate form of or a place where 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 messages are are developed and broadcast do you know what's really funny as well is um gray and linehan actually inadvertently boosted the stream's popularity because he started talking about it so it became this big thing a bit like the streisand effect they talk about <laughs> where like when you're trying to suppress something and you accidentally like blow it up massively on the internet so yeah i think it's can really we get him to tweet about us no i don't <laughs> want him to tweet about us please leave us alone <laughs> don't want to get involved in that um so yeah, we've got a um a, a comment from Benzene Machine over on YouTube. It says technology is the way of the world today. I think it's really good to see that sort of stuff being used for a good good purpose. Um, if you just tuned in, if you're just watching us, this is Pixel Sift. We're an indie game 
uh, interview podcast. Our guest this week is Daniel Elston, and we're talking about the the Don- Donkey Kong 64 charity stream uh, that H Bomber guy, uh, also known as Harry Brewis, uh, started this weekend. Uh, it was trying to raise uh, awareness, but also raising a heap of money for the uh, transgender support charity Mermaids in the UK after Graham Linehan, um, who was a, a prominent writer of many uh, British TV shows you would know, like The IT Crowd and Black Books, um, decided to try and get them to lose their national lottery funding. So, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating sort of example of the internet. And I think one of the really good ways that the internet kind of works in a in a beautiful, beautiful sort of supportive way. Um, and I also think it's really fascinating as well how um, the, that all these charity or that all these um, – celebrities were able to just kind of jump straight into it as well i think that's one thing that yeah you know we we might have um sort of like televised telethons i don't know if you have any over in melbourne um daniel but we have a big one that happens in wa um, which raises a whole bunch of charity and part of the, the the effect is that you have a whole bunch of celebrities kind of pop up and do like funny little skits and things like that um but that, it, that they were all able to kind of be involved in this so chelsea manning and um uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, Jim Sterling and John Romero were all able to just kind of be part of that process. Yeah, look, I think that's one of the great things about just kind of sharing and communicating through the internet and on a digital platform like this. It's so much easier to bring people in to kind of just on pull together something really quite remarkable where, as you say, celebrities and people from all walks of life can kind of come together uh, and, and stand forward for a cause they believe in. And that's what we saw happen. I think that's Yeah, I think it's very, it's definitely very interesting. And it's a, it's a good, I guess, a, you know, a good example of the way that the that internet and games can be used to benefit everyone. Um, and uh, yeah, really good campaign. Anything else to add, Mitch? Yeah, I think, I think that's all that needs to be said about that. I think uh, I, uh, that I must reiterate that, like, I, I love the fact that the internet is we're at a stage where we can now do things like this. Um, all right. Well, I think it's time to move on to the feature of our show today, and that's the interview with Daniel. We'll be right back. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. Now, Daniel Elston is joining us. He is the project lead, lead programmer at Elston Studios, and he's here to talk about Guile and Glory Firstborn. So thanks for joining us, Daniel. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yes, I'm here to talk about Guile and Glory Firstborn. Um, Guile and Glory Firstborn is a turn-based tactical RPG uh, with a bit of a puzzle twist for the PC. Uh, we tend to pitch it as Into the Breach meets Golden Axe. So you've got that kind of... Um, turn-based tactics-esque uh, combat where you're using the environment to take out enemies exclusively in the case of Firstborn, um, but set in a kind of Conan-esque fantasy world, uh, very much inspired by games like Golden Axe. Excellent. And um, so who, who is this game for? Like, who, who, have, like, who, do, you, who do you picture playing your game? That's a, that's a great question. And look, it's... I guess as a developer, you always hope you're going to appeal to as, as wide a sway of the people as possible. I think for us, though, our focus has been um, older gamers, like people you know, getting towards the end of their 20s, like myself, and much older, like into their 30s, 40s, even 50s or 60s, or even later. There's a few uh, out there in that age bracket as well. And 
just as for myself at least getting later into life, I find I have less time now to commit to to like really long gaming sessions consistently. And speaking to a lot of our players, we found that as well, that just strategy games and tactical RPGs like Garden Glory Firstborn can have that appeal of being something you can play for a little bit and then, you know, if you need to take the call or do something, you can get up and do that and the game's kind of waiting and it doesn't really break the flow too much. And that's been a real design tenet for us to kind of have these scalable session times. So if you want to play for five, 10 minutes, you can get something out of the game. But on those occasions where you do have a couple of hours to sit down and really sink your teeth in, Garland Glory will, will have content to support that as well. Is uh, Just on that sort of like pick up and play sort of um, design that you've got there, is that do you, have you done that because your life has changed and now you don't have as much time to sit there and play games as long as you'd like? Look, yes, I have to say that has been a factor. Just like it's given me a very different perspective on what it is like to game kind of, you know, once you're out of school, once you're out of uni. Um, weirdly, I think the thing that's killed my gaming time so so completely is being a game developer. It is a job that does not unfortunately allow a lot of downtime, especially with a small indie project like this. It's just a lot of work and it's not spread between a lot of people. And I think really at any at any scale, the games industry is just known for some really grueling hours. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, you're watching Pixel Sift. It's a, a weekly, uh, well, I guess it's a fortnightly podcast um, where we interview indie game developers from Australasia. Today, we're talking to Daniel Elston. He's from Elston Studios. We're talking about guile and glory. If you've got any questions as well, we're watching the chat, so you can put your questions in there and, and ask Daniel and we will uh, put them to him. Uh, now, for I guess we, I can see a lot of inspiration and we were talking a little bit earlier about how um, the aesthetic of the game really strongly draws from those sort of 90s era games. And I remember, like for me, the thing that really struck me actually was the mouse pointer uh, and just seeing the mouse pointer in the game was something that was really nostalgic for me. Can you tell me about how you kind of capture that aesthetic while also kind of bringing it to a, to a modern uh, game design? Uh, yeah, look, um, so I'd like to say we have a really well-written and well-thought-out document that details all the points to hit um, and that we refer to that and everything runs smoothly. We couldn't be further from the case. Uh, just in capturing that, or recapturing that kind of retro aesthetic and bringing it into a kind of modern framework, for us has been a lot of trial and error. We have just gone through a great many iterations on area designs, character designs, animation styles, and just kind of UI formats slowly kind of playtesting, talking to our players and finding out kind of what works. And uh, what, what sort of things, I guess, have been some of the, you talked a little bit about uh, Golden Axe and you've spoken about Into the Breach, but what other things have you sort of incorporated into uh, this this game? So I guess Garland Glory, uh, at its root, stems from my great love for uh, tactics games growing up. I, I loved um Brigandine, Shining Force, Final Fantasy Tactics, Vandal Hearts, Fire Emblem, you name it. That, that was just my jam back in the day. And I guess what we've tried to do with Garland Glory Firstborn is capture a lot of the elements that we really loved in those turn-based tactical RPGs, but put a modern spin on it with the puzzle-inspired combat that kind of, I guess using the battlefield has always been a key part of tactics games and we just wanted to really emphasize that by eliminating direct damage and making the combat exclusively utilize the environment at least for the player um when was that decision made because i it 
usually it's uh, usually when you're a game when we play games we're directly influencing the combat ourselves but um in in guile and glory it's exclusively you use the environment to take down your enemies when did you decide that that wanted to be the focus day one uh first day of prototyping and the story behind it is a little bit of a silly one but looking back i'm very glad it played out this way um i was doing the thing they tell you never to do which is turning um a last year of tertiary course project into a commercial venture through the academy entertainment we had our final kind of assessment which was to make a to make a game project and i wanted to carry that right through the uh, academy's excellent incubator program and straight on to the public um and my business partner at the time who's since left and gone on to do his own cool things uh, was a huge fan of environmental combat but uh hated tactics games so i was Coming from my own uh, position as the programmer and producer, I was like, given the skills, I can deliver a tactics game. I'm confident of that and not much else. So I have to find some way to sell him on this. And it was actually playing Golden Axe. It's combination of like really gruelingly tough enemies um, and sort of easily exploitable AI and environmental hazards that I kind of was like, you can make a strategy game out of this. And I pitched it to him and... He was a little reluctant at first, but we did a little bit of very early prototyping, started coming together, and that's uh, we just went from there. It, it does seem like a very a, a very nice um, entry into the strategy genre because I'm definitely not a strategy gamer. Um, um, the closest thing I think I've come to playing is StarCraft. So um, is is that something you considered? Like this might be the first time some people have played a strategy game? Yes, look, absolutely. Um, it actually... I thought going in that that would really not be what Garland Glory was good at because, you know, that you can't brute force the combat. You have to use the environment. You have to use strategy. You can't just stock up on health potions and kind of brute force your way through a fight. Surprisingly, I was wrong. Getting people in, I've, in our playtesting, seen a lot of people who aren't normally kind of strategy game players get their heads around it really quickly and kind of quite take to the, the fast, you know, one hit, one kill kind of environment combat. We've got a few comments on uh, on Twitter and on uh, YouTube. So uh, Ultima Odin says, "I played it at Paxos and I really it was really fun." And the real Lord Munt <laughs> says, "Me too." There was a bit of a line when I was there. Uh, and Benzine Machine over on YouTube says, uh, "Using the environment for combat that takes a lot of strategy and thinking." So is there? I guess you know everything's predetermined every time you load into the map. So there's like an ideal strategy through, or is there some element of randomness in in the way that it goes? So there's a bit of a question mark over that in one particular area. We are, for some of our optional side maps, we may be including some randomized elements, but for all the core story content, everything is entirely deterministic um, and handmade. There, you will get the same map every time, the same challenges and the same resources to use, unless you've kind of wandered off and leveled up a bit, and then you'll come back stronger to face that challenge again if you do ever get stuck. And do you... Um... I guess it's the, the behavior of the enemies the same way as well, or will they adapt to where you put yourself? Absolutely. So a really important part of our enemy design was the AI. The the kind of core asymmetry of Garland Glory Firstborn is that you can't harm the enemies, but they can absolutely just walk up and whack your heroes. Um, and that gives the AI a massive advantage. So what we wanted to kind of simulate with relatively simple AI was hubris, the arrogance of your foes, not really taking you seriously as a threat. So 
all enemies are entirely deterministic in their behavior. If you know that enemy type well enough, you know exactly what it's going to do before it does it. Um, and you can also use our turn order display to kind of see the order in which enemies will act. So a real veteran player can kind of see every move that's going to happen before it happens. Um, and so then a big part of the combat is using those rules and patterns against your enemies to gain the upper hand. I'm just looking at the game, it kind of looks like it could very easily be a tabletop game. Did you bring a lot of inspiration from from board games and tabletop games into the design of this game? Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons player. I uh, love the game. I run I run campaigns when I can, always playing in them. I love the grid-based kind of tactical combat that comes with that. So I've done a lot of tabletop RPGs, um, not only Dungeons and Dragons, other role-playing games as well. And I, I actually, it's funny. Early on, before we got the coding pipeline running pretty smoothly, whenever we wanted to roll through new features, we actually had a like cardboard board game version of the game where we'd just oh, really? test new rules. Yeah, yeah. So we'd be, we'd be sitting around a table, like a desk in the office. Everyone else is like breaking out the Oculus or the Vive, and we're just there with like some bits of paper, <laughs> sliding them around on on a little impromptu chessboard we'd put together. Oh, that's really cool. We've got a few more questions coming through on chat. Um, uh, Nerd Rowan asks, how many playable characters are there? So confirmed at this stage, we have three playable characters that will accompany you through pretty much the entirety of the story. Once unlocked, they will be with you the whole way, and you'll pick them up in the course of uh, unfolding the story. At this stage, we can say with certainty that there will be other characters who will join you temporarily, uh, both AI and player-controlled. And we are definitely looking to see if we can roll through one or two additional heroes. But that may be post-launch. There's question marks over that. We will definitely be announcing stuff, clearer answers on whether we'll have more than the course. Um, Fremantle's own Oscar Britton asks if there is permadeath in the game. Well, <laughs> did we lose Daniel? We may uh -oh. have lost Daniel there. <laughs> it's, it's, hopefully there's no permadeath in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, hello, hello. Can you hear me again? Sounded good. Look, there's some pretty hilarious comments. I'm just going to read them out because it's quite funny. Um, <laughs> the, the real Lord Month says the uh, uh, there's the kangaroo's got to the internet lines. Moody Xander is saying roll for a Wi-Fi saving throw. <laughs> um, there's a, and uh, Ultima Odin says there's a neg modifier in Wi-Fi. And Oscar is just sorry that he just killed the connection. So. <laughs> Oh, dear. Yes. Okay. I don't know what's happening, but we're just going to roll with it. Um, yep. So to the question of permadeath, uh, no, there is no permadeath in Garland Glory, first one. Um, and I wouldn't call it a Souls-like in any respect, but I'm a huge fan of the Souls franchise. And one thing I've kind of taken from that is that sort of philosophy is a fast turnaround and the idea that it is 100% okay to die, to try things, to mess up, watch your... Heroes die horribly and just kind of try again. So that's very much what we want to encourage in Garland Glory Firstborn. We've got another question here. Um, so this is from Just a Fat Yeti. Uh, it says, I downloaded and played the demo and really enjoyed it. The lore book was a really cool addition. Um, in the demo, we only played against a few different types of enemies, enemies, but without revealing too much, what kind of challenges can we expect to face in the later levels of the full game? Okay, uh, yeah, happy to talk about that. Again, I don't want to spoil too much, but I will get into some of the details now. Um, 
there are a lot more enemies than you will have fought in the demo. Uh, in fact, when we go to early access uh, next month on the 16th of, Fe of February through itch.io, uh, we will be introducing another major boss fight, the Rakshasa, which is quite quite a different challenge to the worm. And in fact, we tested this many, many months ago in an early pre-alpha. But that is a more human-like foe with a host of really quite nightmarish abilities to contend with. And as you venture through the world, um, there will be enemies ranging from really huge things like the worm to far more formidable variations of the, the drudges and other kind of lower tier firstborn that you'll fight in the early chapters of the game. There's also, of course, a big bad evil guy who we've teased a little bit on Twitter and that fight is in early development now and I assure you it will be a challenge worthy of a party of fully leveled heroes by the end of the game. Sounding very fun. Now, it's uh, it's going to be out in early access on the 14th of February, is that correct? Uh, the 16th. 16th, so you have plenty of time for Valentine's Day if you're into that. Um, now, if people want to find out a bit more information, they can head over to the uh, Elston Studios website. That's elstonstudios.net, um, or you can pick it up. Uh, there's a new demo that just came out this week uh, over on uh, the Elston Studios itch.io uh, account there. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a real pleasure and uh, for bearing through these technical difficulties that we've had. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, that's uh, another episode of Pixel Sift Down. Mitch, take us out, shall yeah. we? Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you very much for joining us once again. Um, this episode was produced by Scott Quigg and Fiona Bartholomeus, and executive producer was joining me on the show, Gianni DiGiovanni. And uh, thank you very much for... To Thank you very much to Murdoch University School of Arts for supporting Pixel Civ through all the 113 episodes. If you'd like to learn more about the gr a great creative degree, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we'll be sticking the links to the topics and all of Daniel's information about uh, Guile and Glory down in the, um, down in the um, description of this show. And uh, yeah, so that'll be available on www.pixelsiv.com.au. And the absolute best thing you can do to keep up with everything Pixel Civ is head to our Discord at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord if you want to keep up with everything we're doing because uh, we post everything there first. So um, yeah, you can that's... chat to Daniel because Daniel's in there now too. Oh yeah, and you can talk to Daniel. He's in there now. Um, we also have other social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So just search Pixel Sift. And uh, yeah, you can get a hold of us there as well. Uh, Gianni, if people want to listen to other episodes, where can they find them? Well, I'm going to list them for you, so get ready. <laughs> your notepad.exe open. I've got it um, right here. Go to, you can go to our website um, to stream episodes. Uh, that's pixelsift.com.au. You can go to any podcast player in the entire planet because all I do is download podcast players and add the Pixel Sift to it. Um, you can go on Spotify, wherever. Um, and if you could give us a, a recommendation, if you can tell a friend, if you like the show, that'd be amazing. Just go to their phone and download it. Um, that would be really, really cool. Thank you so much for everyone who's been uh, jumping in and chatting to us. You've got some fans in there, Daniel, I can see. Um, and uh, we'll, our next episode will be on the 7th of Feb. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much for watching, everyone. And we will see you next week. See you then.
If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 